Hello and welcome to the first ever premiere debut episode of Scopophilia, the podcast. I am your host, Becky Teller, and I will be leading this millennial movie movement from here on out. So buckle up and let's get started. So first things first, what is scopophilia? So technically, scopophilia is defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something. So if you like watching movies, guess what? You're a scopophiliac just like me. So you're in the right place. Sit down, get comfortable. You're going to fit right in. So in picking our first episode for the show ever, I had a lot of trouble um, picking which one I wanted to debut first. I went through all of my options. All of them have some kind of significant tie for me in terms of, you know, what's going on in the world, you know, how we feel as a society. Because as of recording this intro, we are all in America still trying to figure out COVID life and trying to figure out what it means to be at home all the time and how to interact with each other and when will things get back to normal. And, and the truth is that we're none of us are sure. None of us are really at a point where we feel confident that things will go back to normal or at least uh, it'll be a different normal than what we're used to. And so in thinking about all of those things, <laughs> all of the things, I decided on Little Miss Sunshine because Little Miss Sunshine is a study of family and a study of striving to achieve specific things in our life and not having them work out. And, and also coming together with, with people who love and support you. And I think that's a really important message to continue to think about in this day and age. And with that being said, uh, we have special bonus content in this first ever debut episode, which is extremely exciting for me. Uh, now, the meat and the potatoes of this episode is an interview that I did in November of 2019 with my good friend and fellow podcaster, Renata Leo, from the podcast Overrated Underrated, as well as her blog, Buffalo Sauce Everywhere, which you can find online. In addition to a lovely interview with Renata, I have also procured, not one, but two bonus interviews with people involved in making the film, which... I'm so excited about and so excited to show you. Uh, but our first interview was with Albert Berger and Ron Yerksa, who actually produced Little Miss Sunshine, the film we'll be talking about today. Our second interview, I will leave a mystery, and it will be at the end of the episode. So stay tuned and don't go anywhere. So without further ado, my interview with Albert Berger and Ron Yerksa via computer technology from New Jersey all the way to California. Enjoy. First of all, I just want to say thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Um, I have the amazing pleasure and, and complete honor of being able to talk with Albert Berger and Ron Yerksa, uh, two of the producers of Little Miss Sunshine. So hello and welcome to the show, first and foremost. <laughs> hey, nice to be here. 
Great. Uh, and so I prepared a couple questions for you guys. And um, the first being uh, for Albert, uh, when creating the film, was there a moment when you knew that the film would be successful? And at that time, what was your definition of success? Well, the first moment that we really knew uh, Little Miss Sunshine had a chance to break through was at the premiere screening, actually, at Eccles Auditorium in Sundance. At Sundance, it was, uh, uh, the, the room was packed, uh, but it was a very disconcerting start for the movie because um, almost for the first 45 minutes, uh, nobody, there was very little audience response. And um, you almost, uh, I, I think the audience had a hard time reading whether it was a comedy or not. And it wasn't really until that moment when the family, the van breaks down and they take it to get it repaired and the family gets out of the van and starts to push and one by one jumps in the van. And the audience response was enormous at that point. And there was, you know, overwhelming applause and uh, the whole auditorium went up for grabs. And it was really in that moment that uh, I think both of us thought uh, this film really has a chance to break through. Uh, until that moment, my definition of success was simply to have the film distributed because it was a uh, a small independent film. We knew we had a, a really good script. We knew we had the perfect directors for it and a great cast. But, um, you know, with small films, you never know uh, when something is going to click. But uh, it was really that moment in Eccles that, uh, for me, um, suggested that, that this film could break through. That's, that was a perfect answer. There's no more to say about that. Well, you could, uh, you could, you could say that if you wanted. <laughs> uh, that's a perfect answer, Albert. So Ron, um, this film does not have a traditional happy ending and yet the audience feels very uplifted in the end. Uh, what would you say it is about this script that convinced you to create the film instead of another, say, happier film? Well, in a way, I think this is a perfectly happy film um, because what you're saying about the ending is that uh, nobody got what they wanted uh, initially. Uh, everybody in the family had a dream, an idea of who they could be or what they could achieve, and uh, nobody achieved that. So that's the only part of it where it's not a traditional film where someone has a goal and they reach their goal. But the, I think the, the really brilliant thing about the script and the movie is that um, uh, the opposites really um, expose themselves in the course of the 90 minutes. Like, you know, th their, their ambition and their dreams would not have been satisfying. They were like, you know, impossible dreams in a way, but also um, flawed dreams. Um, so that uh, it's kind of like, I guess, the Rolling Stones, you don't always get what you want, you get what you need. That what they really needed on a deeper level was a sense of family, and solidarity and emotional satisfaction, which they did achieve at the end. It was a triumph. They're a united family, and, and the last uh, pushing of the van was, I think, exhilarating to an audience because, um, you know, they, they felt this sense of satisfaction. She didn't win the beauty contest. 
the father didn't become a successful author. Um, uh, you know, Dwayne didn't become, you know, on his way to being a test pilot. Um, you know, nobody um, achieves these kind of, in a way, superficial goals. Um, but it was exhilarating because they got something so much better. Um, and then, you know, it took a while to perfect that ending. But um, so in, in a way, I, I think it, it is a, a very solid, happy ending. Um, yeah. I think what Ron said, I, he, he put it very well. Um, I, the only thing I would add is that I think for Olive, um, in a way, she did get exactly what she wanted in the sense that she was looking to express herself. And I think it was a triumph very much on her own terms. Um, you know, it wasn't as important for Olive uh, to win as it was for her to get up there and dance. So in that regard, I, I think that um, Olive's goal was um, very much met. But on some level, I think the bigger... Uh, thing was the audience very much wanted this family to come together in their own terms. And, uh, and that is exactly what happens in the end. Uh, uh, and many of them do go through changes. So, uh, in a way it was, uh, satisfying, um, with almost a new kind of approach to, uh, uh, you know, to goals and the, the audience had a very, I mean, the, the family had a very modern uh, goal that they achieved. And I, I think that was part of the great success of that movie. Okay. Yeah. Just there. to expand for a moment on what Albert said, which is totally right, is that um, all it did have the satisfaction of performing in her family, obviously, uh, um, you know, unified behind her. Uh, united behind her in, in, in supporting her. But, you know, she does a striptease, but in a very innocent way, her, her, her thoughts and emotions and heart is in the right place. She's an innocent. Um, and even, uh, her grandpa who taught her those moves, it was all done, you know, in kind of a pure spirit of innocence. The, the, the actual competition, um, was highly sexualized of these, uh, you know, girls, um, which was denied by, I guess, the parents in the audience that that's what they were doing. Um, um, and, and, and instead they, they criticize, you know, all this performance as somehow being outrageous. So it's really the opposite that she came pure of heart and, and, and her parents and grandfather as well. And it was the rest of the, um, the the rest of the competition that actually kind of denied what they were really about. So it, that's just another kind of opposite. That's uh, whatever you want to say, demystified or 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 you know turned on its head in the course of the screenplay. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I guess my last question um, is kind of you know, more personal question for each of you. Do you have a favorite scene or moment from the film? And if so, why does that moment or scene resonate with you? For me, my favorite scene in the movie, I, there's kind of two that I really love. I, I would um, hearken back to uh, the scene I described earlier uh, when uh, we realized we had something in Eccles uh, when the whole family pushes the van because it's a perfect 
visual metaphor for um, what this family needs to uh, achieve. They need to come together, and it's a, a, a great comedic way of visualizing that. Um, and we knew in uh, when we showed it to friends that that was a very good moment. And in fact, uh, the original ending to the movie, uh, which Ron and I talk about a lot, is uh, it, it took place in the parking lot at night after the triumph of the uh, of the pageant, um, and the family uh, all had uh, you know gotten arrested, and then they were let go, and they walked through a dark parking lot at night, saying, "Wasn't that great?" And we realized from earlier when we showed it to friends that that moment really resonated when everybody pushes the van. And so instead of, uh, we went back and we reshot the ending to happen in the daytime. And then once again, the family had one last time to push the van together and hop on one at a time. And that was a really uh, much better way to end the movie. So uh, that moment really crystallized, um, uh, you know, for me, what the movie was about and, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I, I like that we were able to reprise it in the end. Um, the one other moment in the movie that I also thought was very strong uh, was when the family has to take uh, grandpa's body out of the hospital. And uh, that was a tough uh, scene to film. And it was also uh, uh, something in the script, which was very strong, but also could have gone woefully wrong uh, because it's a kind of darkly comedic moment but um i i thought that uh it was just you know really handled well in the movie um with the combination of comedy and and uh you know dark comedy and i i, I thought that that sequence really worked well um yeah well i think that's what albert said is really true in a way you can't imagine um uh, the movie without that very fun visual metaphor of pushing the van together from the beginning when it's broken down and they, you know, first come together to the very end. Um, so visually, every time that happens, it's a, it's a highlight. Um, but, you know, I guess the quiet scene that I know some people were very affected by is when, um, you know, Dwayne realizes he's colorblind and goes down to the bottom of the hill in a very depressed state and nobody knows what to do. They're standing up by the van and Olive walks down silently, you know, in her boots uh, down this little hill and comforts him and nothing's said. But um, it's just a great moving visual emotional scene, uh, beautifully shot and, and directed. And just the, the kind of deeper connection in a family uh, of pulling together and supporting each other. Um, so that's an excellent scene. Yeah, I mean, another element of that scene that uh, Ron and I like so much, I mean, obviously, Michael Arndt's uh, screenplay in uh, conceiving that was great. And the way that uh, uh, Jonathan and Valerie, our great directors, um, uh, filmed it was also. Uh, triumphant and all that. But I also have to give a nod to Nick Urata and his tremendous score at that point. Um, uh, John and Val were big, big fans of the band Devochka. And, uh, uh, 
you know, Nick's music works so perfectly uh, in consort with the with the family pushing the van. So it's one of those great cinematic moments where everything comes together. Uh, and uh, uh, and in a very uh, a visual way, um, you know, it kind of sums up the themes of the movie. So hats off to all of them. Yeah, you know, the great thing about this film, which, you know, and now what is it, like 14 years later or something, um, is that wherever we go, you know, 95% of the time when somebody says, I've got to tell you, I really, you know, you can just finish the sentence, you know, I I love Little Miss Sunshine and I watched it with my family or my grandmother or aunt or, you know, it's just different countries and it just went across, you know, every kind of cultural barrier, really. And um, it's kind of a tribute to uh, the fact that not only is it exuberant and, you know, a family pulling together, but it has all these really serious ideas about culture and 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 identity and, and possibility and frustration, all these things, and never says, like, a word about it within the screenplay or any character. They're just so kind of poetically embedded within the story. So um, I think in that way, it's it's been a film that speaks to almost everyone. So as Albert said, hats off to all the creative people who made it happen. The one thing I'd, I'd say is, you know, we're all stuck with our families. And what this movie so beautifully delivers on is the idea that your family, um, through uh, struggle and collaboration, uh, can ultimately change and find the best version of itself. So uh, in that way, I, I think it speaks to everyone, people here, people in other countries, and uh, the movie lives on with that idea at its heart. A huge thank you again to Albert Berger and Ron Yerksa for coming onto the show and having just a delightful conversation with me. Thank you again so much. So now let's get into our main interview with Renata Leo, followed by a second bonus interview at the end of the show. So buckle up and enjoy. It's, it's the best couch ever. Come yes. on the podcast. Yeah, come on the podcast. Couch. We've got a great couch. <laughs> There may be snuggling. <laughs> Will there be snuggling? Possibly. Oh, that's a bonus. Okay. Listen, if you're that. down, I'm down. <laughs> Noted. Scopophilia is the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. Uh, so hi. Hi. This is happening. I was going to say, you're not hiing at me, right? I'm yes. here, but you're hiing at the world. Well, right? yes, both. Okay. Well, hi. Thank hi. you for being here. <laughs> I'm here. This is the first recording ever of Scopophilia, the podcast. Woohoo! Talking about all things film. <laughs> uh, I have with me today Renata Leo. That's me. That's you. That's me. <laughs> uh, she writes an incredible blog called Buffalo Sauce Everywhere. 
um, which I love. It's very real. Mm. And uh, well, and I also have sentimental value in it because it's you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) It's great. But also I know her, so she pays me to say that in food, right? This is not sponsored. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm not paying her. Don't worry. Um, But you also just started this incredible other project of overrated and underrated um, that you do with your Mm ex-boyfriend, which seems pretty outlandish, I think, for a lot of the normies out there. (laughs) Right? I think think that that's definitely part that's cool. And like also because we have such a huge age difference right like I'm millennial and he's gen x and yes I used finger quotes that you cannot see (laughs) but like you know we are of different generations so I think that makes it cool too yeah well I I am subscribed and I'm listening and uh and for one it's great um and there's a lot of points that are made where I'm like oh that's interesting like hadn't even thought about like people don't like this or people do like this or um like for example you did a halloween one as your inaugural one yeah and you were talking about candy corn and i was like i kind of like candy corn <laughs> but i can't tell renata because she doesn't like it i i actually think that's not just a you can't tell me thing i feel like the prevailing uh opinion <laughs> is that it's complete garbage and when people when anyone kind of like steps out and says something everyone just kind of like bats them like <laughs> Get out of here. It's not a space for you. Like, Get out of here. <laughs> yes. So, um, so yeah, I mean, follow those. Thank you for coming on, first of all. Oh, yeah, always. Um, it's a comfy couch. It, so, thank so, you. So if you ever consider coming on her podcast, just know that it is a very comfy sofa that you'll sit on. Thank you. Uh, I got it for free from my parents. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Which is very important. I, I mean, I still live with my parents, so I can't really say anything. They also told, that's the other thing, every so often, my mom, I think she just wants new stuff in the house. She will be like, take this when you leave. It's sectional in the living room, the smart TV. She's like, take them. Like, they're not, they're no value to me at all. Yeah, no, my dad has this fun, um, sporadic thing that he does every once in a while where he's like we're not staying here much longer we're gonna find something smaller like just start putting post-it notes on things that you want because <laughs> we're getting rid of all this when we leave and then like two weeks later he's like no we're just gonna <laughs> this is fine what you should write on the post-it notes is for when they die right and put the post-it notes around the house and see if they read them like did you did you say for when you die and it's like well Everyone's got to go sometime. Exactly. Down. And no, I really I, want this And I really want this. Portrait of <laughs> candy corn. <laughs> I feel very strongly about candy yeah. corn. <laughs> Clearly. That's why you have a giant portrait of it. Yes. Now. It's it's on my wall right there. You, know, you can't see it because this is a podcast, but it's there. Um, uh, so this is Scopophilia. Uh, and essentially what happened was I text you. And I said, Renata, what's your favorite movie? And you have self-proclaimed said, I'm not really a movie watcher because you're you're more of a TV person. So so this, I mean, these are going to be two of my favorite topics to talk about. The fact that I'm not really a movie watcher, more TV. Um, and secondly, that I don't really have a favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm trying to figure out where the idea that I can't really have a favorite thing comes from, especially with movies. So the reason why I only watch TV is because I feel like a movie takes up so much of my day. Which is fair. Um, (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Because then again, I can binge like Parks and Rec for like eight hours in a row. Mm -hmm. And it seems silly that like, I I think I just like the variety, like the different, um, the different plot points, I guess, is what I like. Um, And also, I guess a natural pause to, you know, go do something, go get some food, go to the bathroom. I I think that's what I like. And also, I 
depression makes it like makes it really hard for me to latch on to a movie for mm-hmm. some strange reason. Um, but I think because of that, in my head, I think favorite has a very specific definition. Like favorite, oh, something you can watch at any time. Oh, a favorite is something that you watch over and over. You suggest it to people, you whatever. And with movies, that's just not me. Like there's no movie that I could watch at any time because for the most part, I don't really want to watch a movie at any time. And when it comes to almost anything that I really like, it's like, it depends on the mood I'm in, or it depends on, or, you know, I could say I have 17 different favorite TV shows because I like all of them at any right. time. So favorite is is a weird word for me that mm-hmm. I, and I think Polly is part of it too, where yeah. I didn't want a hierarchy. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't have a favorite friend. I don't have a favorite partner. I right. don't have a favorite, I don't know. Right. But yeah. No, I mean, that's fair. Uh, Sean actually, uh, who's my boyfriend for new listeners um <laughs> everyone everyone <laughs> listening um so sean sean is the same kind of thing where like he'll watch a movie but he would prefer to watch um television shows which should have broken into us uh broken us up years ago but uh, we're still standing strong but he has that thing of like needing to like quote recharge in between things so he can binge like I don't know, five hours of TV or anime or something like that. Um, and for me, I'm like, you could have watched two movies in that time. He's no. like, yeah, but I watched 15 episodes of this. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how I feel. I mm-hmm. Also, I feel like Sean and I are very similar. I feel like a lot of things that you say where you're like, why does Sean do this? And I'm like, duh, why would Sean do that? I'm like, I know exactly why. <laughs> because I think I think in our relationships, I think like, Whereas I'm I'm the thinker to my fiance Dan's feeler. Right. You are the I feeler to Sean's thinker. Most yeah. definitely I am a feeler. I'm I'm definitely more of a sentimental person. Yeah. Um, just in general. Uh so anyway, <laughs> back to why you're here. I, well, I was gonna say I think that the uh, the movie is a lot about relationships. So I actually yeah. think uh think that's a it's good thing. It's relevant. Link in. Relevant. Yeah. Uh so you had said uh, Little Miss Sunshine, which uh, came out in 2006. I did my research. Yeah, I don't uh, know any of the important <laughs> things here. She has a notebook, right? We watched it for the first time last night, and she has a notebook. She's writing things down. I'm like, oh, I like the van. Like, I'm, like, I'm like, she's going to have so many. Like, don't you agree that the music is uh, Bach-esque? I don't know. And I'm going to be like, uh, and I'm going to tap on the microphone and be like, she, she dances to Super Freak. <laughs> I mean, listen, don't be too scared. It's it's one page of notes. And it's mostly like, so I get the actors' names right. It's still notes. It is. Just I took for a anyone notes. listening, it's still notes. I took a couple notes. Um, but you picked Little Miss Sunshine. It came out in 2006. Um, and what would you say is like the briefest synopsis that you could say about Little Miss Sunshine? So, so if we go with like, you know, the, so the titular thing is Little Miss Sunshine, which is a beauty competition, right? Right. And so when I told it to someone, it was, it was like, uh, all of the family members have different quirks and, you know, they can stand each other in small amounts, but definitely, you know, they don't want to be in an enclosed space for a long time and you can tell how much they hate each other in the opening scenes. Mm Mm-hmm. Hate strong, but you can tell how much they they are irritated by yes. each other. There's that that almost bitch eating crackers. Do you yes. are you familiar with bitch eating yes. crackers? <laughs> Where it's you know it's um, bitch eating crackers is essentially uh, for anyone that doesn't know, it's when everything every little thing about them annoys you including the way that they eat crackers yes um so it's kind of like that where they they're so familiar with each other that they have this bitch eating crackers kind of thing and then they're all forced into this van uh to go do little miss sunshine to go take uh, abigail breslin the little girl mm-hmm. 
to uh, this beauty pageant. Um, and, you know, along the way, in all honesty, it's just tragedy <laughs> along the way. There's, just, there's nothing, it's funny, but there's yes. nothing good that happens along the way. I feel like right. all the good kind of happens once they're there. Um, and then it's kind of, it's also, there's a little bit, not not a lot, this isn't the the biggest theme, but there's also a little bit of that beauty pageants, how do we feel about them, you know, what's, how how are the women treated in them, blah, 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 whatever. Um, I feel like that was not the briefest synopsis, but that's what I got. <laughs> there was a lot, I'm like, I'm just going to explain bitch eating crackers yeah, yeah, in a yeah. very brief synopsis. <laughs> that will explain yeah. the entire movie for yeah, you, I did bitch it. eating crackers, mm-hmm, yep. which is fair. I mean, um, in, and there's definitely like that tension right from the get-go mm-hmm. of like, this family has issues. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of them are like pretty deep issues. Um, yeah. Like, uh, so Greg Kinnear, who plays the dad, he has this whole like 10 step program of like, don't be a loser. Nine steps. Did you not put nine yeah, I'm sorry. steps? In I'm your sorry. Notes? <laughs> My notes. Nine steps. <laughs> so he's a nine step program um, about how not to be a loser. And that struck me really hard because. Um, as an only child, and I think you can kind of relate to this, there is a bit of a um, of a pressure on you to kind of succeed um, in your parents' eyes and, like, make them proud because there's no one else to, like, yeah. kind of put the flack on. So when he is talking, there's a scene where he talks to Abigail Breslin, and um, he's like, you know, maybe you should eat that ice cream because if okay, you get fat, like, you might you not win. Those women in Miss America... Are they skinny or are they fat? They're skinny, I guess. Yeah. Guess they don't eat a lot of ice cream. Okay. And that struck me really hard because it's like, oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Not even that my parents have ever said that to me, but there is that pressure of, like, I have to do well. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think a lot of people can relate to. Um, but it's it's definitely a dysfunctional family story, but it's it's more uplifting than like your run of the mill dysfunctional family story. And and I think that I think there's a lot to be said for that because once again, tragedy strikes for each and every one of them. And mm-hmm. you're right, I think at the end of the day it is super uplifting. Yeah. Um and so it's kinda like, you know, even if everything is kinda shitty, you you know, you can still rely on the people that you love and you can still you know, have, you can still enjoy the suffering. In the words of, you know, of what Steve Carell says, you can still enjoy the suffering because there are good parts of it, yeah. even if it feels really bad. Right. Well, and, and there is something to be said of um, of kind of, you know, getting through that and getting to the other side. Um, I don't remember which show it was, but there was there was one show I was watching where it was like, when you hit your your deepest lows, that's when you get your best highs. Oh, for sure, yeah. And I think uh, towards the end of the movie, which makes it uplifting, is people, uh, basically the rest of the family is like, has hit all of their lows. And so now they can start reaching towards highs, which I think, I think everybody kind of wants to be in that situation of yeah. like, oh, I'm on the upswing now. Yeah, no, definitely. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. That is the end goal, for sure. <laughs> so what... What is your favorite part of this movie? Let's start there. Oh, I know. It's that's hard. hard. I know. <laughs> I, I definitely know the answer. I'm just trying to think of, is it the end dancing? It may. It yeah. may just be that. that super freak. Like yeah. second to last scene where they're <laughs> dancing to super freak. Yeah. I, so 
one of the things I've always liked, and I can pinpoint thematically different things that I like, which I'm sure you would love. You would love to hear about it. Give it to me. Um, And one of the things, one of the things is definitely um, that protective um, aspect coming out of people, and almost especially when it's not romantic, right? Almost especially when it's not um, hero and and uh, maiden in distress. I really like friends doing that. I really like family members doing that. I I love support despite uh, pushback. I really, really like that. So I think that is probably my favorite part because there is that moment. I There are several moments where they kind of look at each other and they, they have a choice. Mm-hmm. And they say, do we stop this? You know, we they tried to stop her from going on in the first place. Right. Do we pull her off? Or do we support this? Mm-hmm. And you know, Greg Kinnear, even he when he gets on the stage, his initial reaction is, "Let's pull her off." They right. told me to pull her off, and he just sees her enjoying herself. And I and you can imagine if you were seeing it from his his eyes, you can imagine hearing the mom echo in his head, being, "You gotta let Olive be Olive." And then in that moment, it switches, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Screw it! Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna dance with my daughter now." Like, screw all these people. No, absolutely. I think that's absolutely true, and it's so. It's so funny that you know they have this. Use. All of them are like, we can't let Olive do this, and the mom is just like, well, she wants to do it, so like maybe we should just let her. We've done a lot to get her here, um, but they all want her out for like kind of the societal reasons of like, oh, we don't want to subject her to that. She's a little chunky. Like, what are people gonna say? And then they kind of let that go, and they're like, okay, she's going to just do whatever she wants. And then she literally flips the script yeah. on, like, what, quote-unquote, chunky girls should do in a beauty pageant. She, like, strips. strips. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she strips to super freak. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, it just, it just doesn't get better than that, being and, a nine-year-old. <laughs> and I mean, that moment of, uh, of clarity, I, I kind of like that, too, where they did. They all came to it at a different time mm-hmm. and they all kind of converged and and had that protective you know they all recognized and I don't so part of it might be the chunky thing but I think in that moment they more or less realized how groomed these young girls are mm. I think they realized like you know it's very very apparent the first section is that swimsuit you know oh, yeah and where they're the six of them are lined up and they're posed mm-hmm. they pose and they smile and they hold it, and their hair is really high. They and they strut around. And they're strutting. And, and Olive is standing there, her hands to her side, kind of looking around, not, not really smiling. <laughs> just kind of like, what's going on around here? And, you know, and mm-hmm. some of them were in one piece, so it wasn't like she was the only one in one piece, but right. she was definitely the one that was not trained right. and not groomed to do this. Which I found really funny watching it yesterday um, because – in the beginning of the film, it's like, oh, we were with my sister, and we just started doing these pageants, and it was, like, no big deal. She came in second, which was really cool. So I kind of had this expectation that, like, she knew what she was doing. She was training for this. She knew how to do this. And then you see her on stage in the end, and it's like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> I don't know what pageant she was in, but this wasn't it. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. It's like looking at myself up there, like, oh, honey. <laughs> oh, honey. No. <laughs> you didn't come to the right day. Yeah. um so i have to say that my one of my favorite moments is when um Dwayne, who's the brother finds out that he's colorblind Mm. which Mm -hmm. i like i thought Dwayne was a really interesting character from the start he has like this 
this weird vow of silence that he's taken. He wants to, you know, fly fighter planes, whatever. And then, and I used to work in in an eyeglass office, which you know, um, but I used to give people um, colorblind tests. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's basically the same thing of like, there's one color and then the number's another color. And a lot of people have the problem with greens and reds, including Sean. Oh, which really? I, I tease him for it all, all uh, the time. As well, well, you should, yes. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I ask him all the time, like, can you read that? And he's like, yes, of course I can. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want you right. to be able to read it. Um, but so, uh, so that for me, she pulled up the colorblind test and I was like, Oh, if he's colorblind, that'll be really interesting. And then I went, oh no. Yeah, I heard you. If I he heard you say that. <laughs> I yeah. was like, oh no, if he's colorblind, he can't fly planes. What's the letter in the circle? No, 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 no. Inside the circle. It's an A. Can't you see it? It's bright gray. Dwayne, I think you might be colorblind. You can't fly jets if you're colorblind. And the like the physical outburst that comes over him. I get that of like when, especially when someone tells you that you can't do something, that there is literally no way for you to do it. That physical thing that happens to him where he's like, you almost think he's going to tear his way out of the van by his bare hands. Yeah. Well, I think Dwayne, like his whole character beginning to end. uh, So I'm going to go super, I think it's going to be Gen Z here. uh, (laughs) Big mood. (laughs) Big mood. Big mood. Big mood. Um, I, well, so I also, so one of the other things I like thematically, I knew we were going to get to it, yes. <laughs> is intensity. Yes. I love intensity. And I mean, mm-hmm. to be fair, I think that protective instinct and intensity go hand in hand. And maybe um, the protective instinct is just, uh, maybe just a step further. Mm-hmm. But I do love intensity in my media. Believe it or not, I like comedies, so it's very <laughs> odd. But like, uh, in Les Mes, Javert has oh. been my favorite character yeah. since I was like six. Like, and I'm Javert. Like, I just love that, uh, the music that happens when He's there. Oh, man. <laughs> so I just, I, ever since I was younger, I loved intensity in my media. Like, I just really, those intense moments were just my favorite, and they were ones that stood out. Mm-hmm. You do not see Steve Carell like that until mm-hmm. Dwayne needs to get out of the car. And mm-hmm. he's, I don't, I didn't even notice that until I rewatched it this past time. Is yeah. that Steve Carell is out of his mind. Like, he, he, he just met, like, probably not just met, but like, you know, he's just seeing this kid again for probably a really long time. He's learned about, you know, his dedication, right? And reacquainting with basically the whole family. Exactly. Like he doesn't, you know, and just, you can tell that he now has this attachment to this kid when he's just like, you know, you need to get him the frig out of here. And he's screaming like, Mm -hmm. and you never see him like that besides that scene. Well, and it's interesting, Steve Carell's character, because he, he is a character who has admittedly attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, lost his job, lost his house, lost his, like, basically his whole career is dead. And he's so calm throughout the whole movie. He's just Mr. Sarcasm, Mr. I don't give a shit anytime, like, until basically that moment. Right. Well, and I think that's how, I mean, so I don't, you know, I don't necessarily see you every day, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you and I both suffer from depression, right? I mean, not, I, I definitely have not gone near to suicide, but like, you, you know, the feeling. And I feel like it kind of is that like, you're just living, you're just existing Mm -hmm. on a certain level. So you're just like, I'm going to just sit here. Right. I'm going to smirk at shit. (laughs) Cause I feel like that's what humans do. Right. (laughs) 
is this a human emotion? Exactly. Right? Is this, I'm going to explain French and see what happens. Like literally, that's my life. Because he, sorry. So in uh in the one scene mm-hmm. when uh when Olive gets the the ice cream with her waffles, mm-hmm. and that that's the scene you were referring to about you know where she where he says, well you shouldn't oh, get yeah. ice cream because mm-hmm. you're going to be fat. And he's like he's like what well, mode actually means in the fashion. And you know Greg Kinnear turns to Steve Carell and goes shut up. Right. And I'm just like. It me. That's yeah. my entire life trying to explain French to people and having them be like, why are you still talking? <laughs> Actually, Olive, a la mode uh, in French translates literally as in the fashion. A la mode. Mode is derived from Latin modus, uh, meaning do or proper measure. Frank, shut up. Well, and what a great, like, kind of scene change in a way of, like, so there's this kind of intensity between Greg Kinnear and Abigail Breslin of like, and even Cheryl, who's played by Tony Collette. I had to use my notes. Nice. Thank you. you this is why we took notes. <laughs> um, and there's a, there's a tensity between the three of them and, mm-hmm. you know, the rest of the family kind of looking over and the, you kind of get this feeling of like, oh, this is going to be like, this is going to be a downer scene. Like, we're going to feel bad. She's not going to eat the ice cream. Yeah. And then for Steve to Carell to just kind of like come out with, oh, well, a la mode mean this. <laughs> and like break all of the tension. And then the rest of the guys are like, well, we're going to eat the ice cream. Like, And then immediately she's like, well, if everyone else is going to do it, then it's okay for me to do it. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I, I remember I remember that scene. I don't know why. And you, you I'm sure, can speak to some cinematography here. But mm-hmm. she literally eats it and then kind of sits back and holds her hand on her head and has the spoon between her fingers mm-hmm. and just smiles. Like, that was such a satisfying bite of ice cream. Yeah. And she smiles throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. I love her little face. She's so happy. She's so cute. The entire movie. The only time she's not happy is, well, so the only time she's not smiling, I should say, is when the grandfather passes. Right. And when she's soothing Dwayne, which we didn't, we didn't talk about that in that Dwayne scene, but she, I mean, she's not sad during that scene, Mm -mm. you know, but she's, I mean, she's just so happy when they leave her behind. I know. She's just standing there. She's like, and one of, one of the people we're watching with, I think it was Sean went, well, it's probably not the worst time that's happened. (laughs) And I feel like there probably is that sense of when you see her super calmly standing there being like, this is what happens. (laughs) They do this. I roll. It's fine. Yeah. It's my mood. It's my family. (laughs) Uh, Abigail Breslin smiling. Oh, she's so cute. And we didn't talk about the uh, that part of the Dwayne scene. Yes, when well, and I think it's so great that you know Cheryl's like, you know, just give him space. Like we just have to wait here, mm-hmm. and she doesn't even Abigail Breslin doesn't even need to say anything. Right. She just needs to show that like she's there for him. Yeah, and that's enough. There's something there about like I mean. It's something you and I can't really speak to, but I mean, siblings, there is something about that bond mm. for sure that that has a different sort of moving mountains quality than parents have, than, yeah. you know, partners have. Um, but yeah, it is. It's so, it's such a perfect end of that scene. And it doesn't, I, when I remembered back, I remembered that scene and I remembered her armor on him, but I remember it being at least a beat. She puts her arm around him, and he goes, "Okay, let's go." Like literally, right. it's almost instantaneous that he that he's like, "I need to do this for her." Like right. I'm screwing up. I'm screwing up her chance mm-hmm. to do what she loves, right. and I'm not going to do that. Well, and especially going back to this whole like 
you won't be able to ever do something. Mm -hmm. And then to have him go, well, I don't want to be that person for her. Right. Um, It's just so (laughs) heartwarming. Yes, it is. It's it's such a good movie. so heartwarming. And, like, and I mean, granted, there's, uh, you know, I'm never going to understand a sibling relationship. It's it's a foreign right. concept to me forever. Yeah. Um, I have, like, unbiological sisters, but uh, <laughs> not really the same. Same, yeah, that I have sorority sisters <laughs> yeah. that are not really my biological sisters. Yeah. Have you, what is, okay, let me phrase it this way. What is the longest vacation that you've ever been on with your family? Uh, I mean, probably a week. Yeah. I do not. I have repressed most of the vacations <laughs> I've ever. No, that's not fair, repressed. But, like, I, as good as my memory is, it's mm-hmm. better at, like, little points in mm-hmm. time. Or, like, really traumatic. I remember traumatic vacations. <laughs> the good ones are not. I, I feel like probably a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that with, like, just your parents or, like, your whole family? Just my parents. When it comes to my whole family, it's been, like, it'll, we used to take weekends in a, um, which, uh, Willow Valley, mm-hmm. if you remember that, it's a hotel that used to be in Lancaster. Yes. Um, so we used to do that with my dad's family, but I mean, we stayed in separate rooms and the last time that we went, I was actually, I had a cold, I was sick. So I spent most of my time there <laughs> sleeping and my parents, I mean, they're my parents and they're, no matter how old we get, mm-hmm. they're always going to be parents. And yeah. so I was like, guys, if I, I can sleep in the room, you guys can go out and do things. Like, it's fine. And they just, like, yeah. hung out in the room with me. Aww. Yeah. That's nice. So, but once again, I wasn't even, I wasn't in any of the pictures. It's <laughs> like all these pictures. like, look at us on vacation. And the Photoshop only, you in afterwards. <laughs> well, the only one I was in was, like, one with, I guess it was, my grandfather was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was with my grandmother, my grandfather, and the grandkids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I'm pretty sure I looked, like, pale. Like, I looked <laughs> ill. Oh, no. <laughs> just, like, smiling through the pain. <laughs> I, I do that with every picture of junior prom, of Pittman junior prom. I look at it, and I'm like, do I look like death? Because I felt <laughs> like death. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm probably the same. There's been, like select times when I have like full family vacations and it's always with one side or the other. There's, right. It's never both. Um, which I think is probably the case for most people. Yeah. Um, yeah why would they want to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, I don't actually, know you. It's actually so funny that this comes up because Dan's, when Dan's family gets together, mm-hmm. it's so, it's very rare, first of all. And, but the words are hard. It's, <laughs> The last time he had a family reunion that we went to, mm-hmm. um, it was at the amusement park Knobles. Oh, yeah. And, like, I was kind of trying to figure out which side of the family it was, but literally some of it was his mom's and some of it was his dad's because they were just kind of all raised interconnected. Like, you know, I, oh, okay. I think one of Dan's cousins from his mom's side literally lived with them for several years, right? Okay. So, like, he considered Dan's dad his dad and, like, okay. you know, so it is, there was a lot of, interesting. Like, yeah, interweaving there. It, it is interesting because it doesn't make any sense to me. So, Little Miss Sunshine, um, yeah, I mean, I think the longest vacation I've been on with my parents was we went to Canada when I was a kid, and I think it was, like, a week and a half, but it was, like, we went to Niagara, we went to one of the other Canadian places, like, <laughs> wine Canada. was involved, I think, I couldn't drink it. I was just going to say, I was there, yeah. yeah. I was so mad the whole time, because I couldn't text my boyfriend at the time oh. on my pink razor phone of course you had a pink of razor of course phone, you had right? a pink razor phone mm-hmm. it was like you know 2006 2007 yep 
Um, but I was so mad. And like, as soon as we crossed the border, my dad was like, wait half an hour and then you can text him. And I was like, oh, this is the worst. I mean, I had a great time, but it was definitely, <laughs> realistically. <laughs> realistically, but it was definitely one of those things where it was like, I just want to text my friends. <laughs> like, you know, middle schoolers. They're the worst. <laughs> I know. I think we can all admit that they're the worst. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I was probably, I mean, I was probably just as much of a jerk in middle school as I was in high school. Maybe, maybe no one else has carried over in high school, but mine, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I was a jerk. Yeah, well. Yeah. You know, it happens. <laughs> it does. So what else do we like about this movie? Like, just in general. So I think, I mean, in general, I, I just think it's a such a beautiful portrait of, mm. like, awkward moments. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, literally, I'm sitting there watching the awkward moments, and I'm like, wow, I love this. Yeah. This is so great. Well, it's very human, too. Like, there are so a couple human. moments where it feels like, okay, this was done because it's a movie and you can get away with it. Like, I honestly, what human in their right mind is like, Grandpa just died. Let's put him in the trunk and go to the pageant anyway. Like, not many people would say that. That would be the tipping point of, okay, we're going to have to deal with Grandpa. Right. So, like, moments like that, I'm like, okay, that's for movies. But it still feels very human and very real of, like, this is what he would want. <laughs> See, my my memory of this is now going to be marred with the fact that Dan went to the bathroom during that whole, that whole arc. <laughs> he comes back and he goes, where's the grandpa? <laughs> I'm like, he died? Oh, no. And, and he's like, he's like, he died? And I'm like, yeah, he died. And then they put him in the trunk and Dan's like, what? And I'm like, I'm like you, you missed it. It's not my fault, man. Oh, my god! Like, hold your ear in. I don't know what to tell you. Hold your ear. It seems like you are you problem. <laughs> Sounds like you didn't come to play. <laughs> That's what I heard. That's what I heard. <laughs> but yeah, I mean the whole movie feels surprising. I think it's surprisingly uplifting and surprisingly human in strangely like slightly unrealistic situations. I I would also it's it's a shame because I now I'm looking at it you know <laughs> people tell people that are like quote unquote woke to like that it's like oh wow you must you must be so much fun to parties or whatever and I'm like this is not fun for me. <laughs> Seeing this stuff is not fun. Okay. <laughs> like I also wish I was not here to experience right. this. But I mean because I keep and even when I suggested it to you, and as I was thinking about it, I was like, everyone has a pretty big evolution arc, and mm-hmm. everyone has a pretty big moment of realization or, or something, or death, Yeah. Um, except for the mom. The yeah. mom really is kind of, is almost a background character. A little bit. And she's the only adult woman, the only other woman besides Abigail Breslin, yeah. who is seven. But you have to admit there is like a... There's kind of a charming quality about her. Like, she's trying so hard not to take shit from um, from the dad, whose name I can't remember, and my notebook's closed, so. <laughs> we could just call him Greg Kinnear. Oh, yeah, that's Richard, right. right? Isn't his name Richard? I think his name is I Richard. I want to say yeah. You can open <sighs> your notebook. I don't know how difficult that is for you. We, why didn't you put this in there? I know, I know. <laughs> it is Richard, and his name is Greg Kinnear. Um, but she tries her hardest not to take shit from Greg Kinnear, which I really respect. And there is kind of a feeling about her throughout the whole movie of like, I'm just trying to keep this family together. She's definitely the glue. She's yeah. 100% the glue. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think, I I just wish there was a little more to her. Mm-hmm. Like, in all honesty, I'm, like, thinking back on it. I'm like, does any of this pass the Bechdel test? <laughs> right? I'm Girl, like, no. I'm like, I don't think any of this passes the Bechdel. Because I'm like, it can't. It, it almost can't. Yeah. Right? Because she, I mean, what is she going to talk about? All the characters are men, are men. besides Abigail Breslin. Exactly. Like, it almost can't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> I do love this movie. I do. It And... As my first viewing, and I've heard, I've actually heard like the theme um, several times because I will like put on movie mm. themes while I'm like doing my pap- like papers for school and things like that. Movie nerd, movie nerd, <laughs> that's me. Uh, scopophiliac at heart, forever. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll like listen to it in the mo- in the background if I need something like calming. And so I've heard the theme several times. And so when it came on, I was like, oh. Got it. Yeah. Like, it immediately kind of put me in the idea of, like, where this movie is. Right. Because it's kind of happy, but it's got kind of a weird, somber undertone to it, which, I mean, same. (laughs) (laughs) Relatable. (laughs) Can relate. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I mean, on my first first watching it, uh, knowing that several people have said, you know, it's a great movie, I was extremely impressed with yeah. it. And I think it definitely lives up to the hype that people give it. It's, it's, I like variety, mm-hmm. I think is part of it. So that I had all, so for me, having all of those different people's, you know, perspectives and story arcs, and, and they're so, like, I was talking to Dan about this last night. It's so much evolution in such a small amount of time, but it doesn't feel like forced evolution. No. It really doesn't feel like, wow, they had to really try to get that in there. Right. Like, no, it, it fit well mm-hmm. and they just all really evolved far i mean they came far the dad went from being this person that you know don't be a loser you can't do this you can't do that to being much more understanding mm-hmm. uh, steve carell really started to appreciate the family started to appreciate his life mm-hmm. you know he talked he he faced this guy that he had fallen in love with that you know he probably hoped to never see again right um who broke his heart, <laughs> decimated him. Yep, L- almost literally. Almost literally. Yeah. Um, the the grandfather died. <laughs> That's evolution. Um, but he, I mean, he literally approached his son and was like, "I just want to tell you how proud I am of you. Like, I can't, you know." Yeah. Um, and Abigail Breslin. Eh, no, she was seven. She, she yeah. just kind of was seven, bopping around, and, that, and that's nice though. Yeah. Because one, I think you you touched on this earlier. You go, you know, when she goes in, you kind of expect her to look around and be like, "I'm not like these people. Like, why am I right. here?" Nope. <laughs> She's just like, "I'm gonna just do this, right?" And everyone's gonna love it. And, and it was it was spectacular. Exactly. And there's like this one brief hint where she's in the swimsuit and she's looking at herself, and she I, yes, there's that's the true. feeling of like, oh, she realizes that like she's a different shape than the other girls. It doesn't let her, doesn't stop her from, no. you know, going on the stage and being like, yeah, okay, here I am. And and that's the thing, you know, before she goes, she kind of is, she's kind of contemplating it. Once she's on the stage, she oh. has no doubts anymore. Girl. She's just like, these pants are coming off. Yeah. <laughs> and all of this you This frilly underwear, it's going to happen. And all of you are going to see me rubbing this yeah. tie on my ass. <laughs> Go, girl. Mood. Do your thing. Big Also, mood. I love... Um, I really love Miss California. <laughs> I really think she's such a spectacular character, you know, from when she tells Olive that she eats ice cream, which is so brilliant. I yeah. love I love that Olive's like, see, 
dad's an idiot. (laughs) I can eat ice cream and be Miss California. (laughs) Um, And then when she's dancing, Mm -hmm. when she's dancing Super Freak, Miss California is just like, ooh, that was saucy. Like, (laughs) she's just looking at her like, no one had to do this. Yeah, she's totally into into it. it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Which is so, I love the scene with Miss California talking about ice cream because she's like, yeah, I love ice cream. I love Cherry Garcia, but I guess that's a frozen yogurt. But the olive doesn't even register that part. She's like, Miss California eats ice cream. Done. Right? <laughs> Boom. Boom. Well, and that's and it almost is interesting that I feel like these people that we've been with for so long, these, mm-hmm. you know, this family, they go into this pageant scene and it's like they're entering a different world. Like, oh, yeah. you know, it's these people that are super focused on pageants. You even get that guy that's literally, that's clearly only there to watch little girls, like, mm-hmm. you know, which which is very part of the scene, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's part of the scene to have people who are uptight, right? Because, you know, you're registering too late. It's, you know, it's part of the scene to have these stage moms that are doing you know, the choreography in the aisle. Yeah. yeah and, and to have these, these children mm-hmm. that are super dolled up and really, yeah. you know, and there to compete. And then you have this family that's just, you know, kind of not really part of the world. And you see the other people that are not part of the world, like the guy that does let them sign in. Yeah. Like, he's clearly other, right, yes. to the rest of it. He's like, I'm not working here next year. These <laughs> people suck. And you're just like, he's very much right. not part of that world. Mm-hmm. And and he claps for Olive, right? Yeah. Like, he, he shows that he's more with the family than with that. Exactly. Yeah. So I came across this fun bit of trivia. Yeah. Which is that, um, so in the movie, there's like the the five other girls other than Olive who are competing to be Little Miss Sunshine, right? Uh, It's 12 total. So 11 other women. 11 Mm -hmm. other girls. Girls. Sorry, I know. I'm going to say women because it feels like the right thing to say, but they are girls. They're they're young children. Yes. Um, (laughs) They are actually, um, they're veterans of the pageant system. So when they, they came on to the movie, which apparently had like very little budget um they came onto the movie and like brought their own costumes they basically did exactly what they would do at a pageant including their talents so the talents you see that you're watching and you're like oh this is so awkward like (laughs) why why are these little girls doing it that's their talent like in the real pageant world like that's what they do which I I thought was really interesting well and I think that's the other thing is that we're not part of that world either Mm -hmm. I wonder I wonder someone watching the movie that is part of that world, I wonder what they would have to say about it. Because yeah. you're right, for us, a lot of it is super weird. But for the other people, they yeah. probably think this family is super <laughs> weird. They're probably like, this is not realistic at all. The pageant is where right. I live. Um, and, you know, and Olive, they probably look at Olive like, she's insane. Like, yeah. you know, why would you think that you can do this? And Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. So weird. I know. It is. It's, it's very, I mean, it is different than yeah. what we know, for sure. And I mean... So for me, it's very different because even as an adult, I don't wear makeup. As a child, I was never into makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, I am literally a person that throws my hair in a bun and doesn't, you know, doesn't think twice about it. Right. I, I can't be, you know, I can't be bothered to wear dresses because I don't shave my legs. <laughs> like, you know, I, it's, I'm not even, right. like, I'm so far distanced from it that I can't even imagine. It does kind of, especially as kids that mm-hmm. don't, that, you know, can't really consent. Like, it does kind of make you, like, wince and cringe and, mm-hmm. like, how do they really feel, you know, are they, do they feel like they're being put in a box? Do they feel like they're being told that they have to look a certain way? And mm-hmm. I mean, you have to think yes. Yeah. You have to think yes. And that, and that hurts as, as children who were already taught to think that, right? You mm-hmm. have to look a certain way. Just thinking about how much worse it would have been. Oh, Like, girl. yeah. Girl. Yeah, right? It's tough. I mean, I, you know, I, yeah. in middle school, we were already struggling with our bodies and to, mm-hmm. to put that on 
seven-year-olds yeah. in that capacity. Yeah. So there's a Bones episode oh. where, where a beauty pageant contestant, yes, a that's beauty right. pageant contestant is killed. Yeah, and her mother made her wear a corset to bed. Oh, that's right. To, to shape her, uh, or shape her ribs, rather, yeah. Yes, because I mean. as she would grow, it would, I don't know, keep her th- that way. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, no, not a fan. Not, not my fave thing that yeah, never no. happened on television. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I definitely think about that too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely if, if kids are into it. Like, there's the kid in, um, did you ever see Juno? Have you seen I have, Juno? but maybe once, and I honestly didn't no. enjoy it enough to Wait. watch it again. It wasn't Juno. <laughs> I was wondering. It was, um, there's the, I think it's called, mm, I think it's called Whiplash. It's Ellen Page, but it's the roller derby movie. That Drew Barrymore, I think, directed. I know what you're referring to, but I have not watched it. I just Great. love how you're like, Ellen Page, so <laughs> no, it must so- be Juno. <laughs> Has to be Juno. Well, because it's a similar, um, it's like middle <laughs> class. <similar>. No. <laughs> storyline. No, storyline is not similar, but. Um, <laughs> Jennifer Garner yeah. wants a baby. It's so crazy. She like, wants Ellen Page's baby. Wow. How many Ellen Page movies are going to have this? this storyline amazing it's making so much money off of just getting pregnant in movies no i know uh no ellen page is like in a similar um kind of life situation in that both of her both these characters are like middle class um both have like younger sisters things like that but so in in the roller derby movie her sister um, her well, her mom in the movie is a is a beauty pageant mom because they're I think they're in Texas. Okay, and so her younger sister is all about beauty pageants. She's like, I want to win every single beauty pageant, and Ellen Page is like, not interested. I want to go play roller derby. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. So I mean, like, good if, life choices. Yeah, I mean, if kids are into it, like, I get it. Like, you want to make your kids happy. I don't know. There's something kind of creepy. It's it, it. it's such a it's such a hard line. Yeah. Um. Because because like you said, you want you want to let someone express themselves, yeah. and you want to give them autonomy for sure. Mm-hmm. But it, there is, I I think actually, when it comes to the makeup thing that you had said earlier, um, I think it is an inherent aging up. Yeah. And aging up children is always a dangerous game because then some people get funny ideas and yeah and. You know, there is definitely this culture now of, well, that's not the kid's problem. And while I don't disagree with that, beauty pageants inherently make them think, and and they just make them think about their bodies and their looks. Like, they make them so focused on that. Aware of it. Yeah. And, like, you you don't want anyone to be so focused on that so that they that they feel that they're in a box and can't eat ice cream. You know, no one wants that for people, I feel like. I feel like you shouldn't want that for anyone. Everyone should be able to eat ice cream is my stance. I agree. I agree. (laughs) Is that our platform when we run for president? Everyone should eat ice cream. Thank you, 2020. Don't care about anything else. (laughs) Live your life. Big (laughs) mood. 2020. But only with certain toppings. And if you like other ones, (laughs) jail. Straight to jail. <laughs> do not pass go. Do not collect $200. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Get that heat bar out of here. <laughs> That's our other slogan. <laughs> Get that, that heat bar out of here. Out of here. Oh, my gosh. I can't. <laughs> but you have to. Yeah. Because here we are. Here we are. For Running for president. <laughs> That's what this podcast is all about. This is actually platform. our debut for uh, for the 2020 <laughs> oh election. God. Could 
could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Depressed and, and, and agoraphobic, not leaving the house. I'll do all of my uh, key addresses from this comfortable couch, snuggling with my vice president or president. Have we decided what we're going to do? No, I definitely don't want president because okay. I don't want to do anything. Understandable. Okay, so I'll take cool. president. Great. We'll snuggle vice president. Done. Yes. Boom. Boom. People will not know if you're actually a person or a ghost or a, a uh, three kids in a trench coat. No one knows. <laughs> what happened? I don't what know. Happened? We were talking about Little Miss Sunshine. Now we're running now for we're president. running for president. As it should be. As it should be. This movie inspired us to run for president. <laughs> so inspired. Um... Did you not write down questions in your notebook? I thought your well, notebook so was going to be full of thought-provoking questions. You want to hear what's in my notebook? 100% yes. Okay, so Little Miss Sunshine guest <laughs> Renata Leo. Um, the first thing I wrote when watching the film was domino effect of failure. Because there's definitely a stagnation between each person's failures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, I like it. It's like Greg's thing blows like doesn't bail out. Actually, to start with, Frank. Actually, to start, start the very first scene because I, I paid attention to this because I thought it was her picking him up from the hospital. From the hospital, and I was wrong. The very first scene is Olive watching old winners, pageant yes. winners, and pretend and and pretending to get really excited. Yeah. That's a good way to start. So good. <laughs> Sorry, continue so good. now. Domino. Domino effect, effect of failure. failure. Okay. I then wrote, have you ever been on a road trip with your family? <laughs> no, my parents <laughs> don't do that. They uh, they fly. I The yeah. the one time we drove to Virginia, but I, I was young. Mm. I don't necessarily remember right. the drive. Um, I mean, we've had to do a bunch like... Uh, I went to school in Carlisle, right, three hours away. So, I mean, we've definitely done where they were taking me there, right, three hours. Right. But nothing longer than what uh, Virginia would be five hours. Yeah. We, um, so we drove to Canada, actually, which was I, too I, long. <laughs> I also <laughs> figured if you guys got back past the border and your dad was headwind yeah. to text your boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, my parents will drive most places on the East Coast, um, except Florida. Like the furthest, yeah, the furthest they'll go is North Carolina. So at most eight hours in the car. I just can't spend that much time in a car. My my max probably is around five. If I need to do six, I'll do six. Right. I've like Rachel and I went to uh went to Salem, Mm -hmm. and that was I think four and a half or five. Yeah. As long um, as you don't hit New York traffic. Exactly. We left early. Ooh, we left good early. for you. <laughs> we left early, like 9 a.m. going there, and coming back, we left at like 4 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, as you should. <laughs> so strange. Um, but yeah, so I I feel like, I don't know, I in all honesty, I get it. To be fair, though, I also don't like being on planes that long. Well, there so you go. it's not even... What about trains? I mean, I, not that long still. No. You know, I don't want to be in a confined space with other humans that That's I fair. don't know. Not a fan. That's um, fair. I, the seats get uncomfortable. After about two hours, your butt starts getting uncomfortable. Mm. Um, there's never enough space. You can't, you, you can't, even if the seat is uncomfortable, like if I'm laying back in a car, mm-hmm. I still can't get comfortable. Mm. Like, I, 
I'm hungry. I don't know what to eat. I can't <laughs> eat it where I am. And I'm dehydrated, but also have to pee somehow. Right. No, it's just tra- traveling, getting to my destination is the most important part. I, Stephanie and I, when we flew to San Francisco for uh, for our surprise vacation, I was like, this is how you get me on a five-hour plane. You don't tell me I'm going to be on a five-hour <laughs> plane ride until I get to the airport. Right. Sorry, bitch. Understand. You're Mom. getting on a plane. And did I tell you a kid vomited before we <gasps> left the terminal? No. Did I tell you that? We're sitting on the airplane, and I think we taxied a little bit. Right. And I just hear the words threw up. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not today, Satan. <laughs> and so I, and I smell them. Right. Strawberry smoothie. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm like looking at Steph and so she takes out her headphones. She looks at me and she's like, what's wrong? And I, so I'm a metaphobic. Uh, so I, I am very afraid of vomit. I do not like being near it. I do not like being no- near nauseous people. Uh, I do not like being nauseous myself. Fair. A lot of issues. Um, <laughs> a lot of issues I have. It's so I can I relate. I'm like, you know, Stephanie's like, look at me, talk to me. And like, so I stared at her. Um, but like my body reacted, you know, I had a fight or flight response. Like mm-hmm. I started sweating. I started, you know, panting. Um, and they, they got it cleaned up and, and you just hear the mom go, well, is it going to happen again? Or are we done? <laughs> like, I'm like, mom for the win. Oh man. Um, but I think it was just like a smooth, like upset the kid. But once again, so, and Stephanie had never been on a plane that long. The longest she had been on a flight was like three hours. Right. So, so she was like, you know, oh, well, I'll get to see how long flight is. And by the time we were done, she's like, oh my God, like, no, not yeah. again. Thank you. So literally the last night we were there. Both of us throughout dinner were just quiet and miserable because we were like, I don't want to get back on a plane again. Like, it was not fun the first time. Right. Um, I mean, we both, I think we both just kept going with movies. Like, we did not stop. We just, just pick one, go. Pick one, go. Pick one, go. And like, so yeah, so I don't, I mean, I don't like, you know, long rides and and it does, it'll get to me, right? Like, a few days before I have to do it or a few hours before I have to do it. I'm like, oh no, not again. (laughs) Like, this is not my favorite thing. No. I know, poor me, right? I know. It's <laughs> first world problem. Exactly. Poor me going to Europe is so <laughs> awful. Like I have um my biggest problem with traveling is I always I have really long legs. Yeah. And if they are bent for mm. extended periods of time, they're like they want to scream. No, that's it. All I want to do is like put my leg up, you know, lean it against the seat in front of me, but I don't want to be a dick. <laughs> right. Um, so it's like, and for me, I always, my, my go-to and so is Sean's is we just want to lay down. So like if, so we've been to, we've been to Ireland twice now Mm -hmm. and both times I'm like, all I want to do is be on first class so I can lie down. Right. Yeah. Not even to sleep. I will stay up the entire plane ride. Yeah. If that will give me a first class sleep to stretch my legs. No, I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the other thing. Like, so many people when I talk about flying are like, oh, mm-hmm. just knock yourself out. I'm like, you don't understand. Like, my my body, I love sleep. Yeah. My body does not like to give it to me very frequently. <laughs> it's such a shame. It's, what was, I read a, uh, I read a tweet the other day, which is technically not applicable, whatever, but it was like, you know, um, for someone who really loves sleep, you would think I would go to bed earlier. Right. And for me, it's more or less, you know, for someone who really loves th- sleep, you would think either I would be able to sleep later or I would just sleep better. Like, it's so right. crazy how bad I sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not a good sleeper. I mm-hmm. This coming from, however, Becky will tell you that if it's past, like, 10, I turn into a pumpkin. Oh, my gosh. And my eyes cannot stay open. <laughs> we finished the and movie last night and oh. your eyes were closed. I was like, oh, we got to get her out of here. Lord. <laughs> I, there were two times I remember last night. One of them, I slept through... What scene did I sleep through? I'm like, I've seen it. Becky's when I've seen it. I can sleep. Um... 
it might have been part of the death of the grandfather. It yeah. might have been. I feel like I feel like I started falling asleep when Greg Kinnear went to talk to the book deal guy. Okay. And then I woke up fully when they were in the hospital. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I definitely I lost it for a little bit, and that's it's so funny. I um Rachel's like that where she can where she can watch a movie and not fall asleep, and like she's like I don't understand how you can just fall asleep during like this movie, and I'm like I, I don't understand what you don't understand. Yeah, you've seen me fall asleep during rock concerts. Though. I've seen you fall asleep during the Trans Siberian Orchestra <laughs> during full electric guitar like fire is coming out of every crevice of the stage like. <laughs> Everyone is singing at the top of their lungs. Everything's maxed, and you are dead asleep yeah. next to me. And I turned to your mom during that, and I was like, "Is this normal?" And she was like, "Yeah, she'll wake up by the end." <laughs> mom, moms know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's the other. My mom is so funny with that. In college, when I would call her and like be super upset and be like, "Everything's stressful," blah blah blah, in tears. She, her first question is like, "How how much sleep have you been getting?" <laughs> And I'm like, I've been fine with, oh, uh, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm right. going to go to bed right now. Good night. Like, I can't stay awake any longer. But like, yeah, it's, so that's how I know mm-hmm. that I'm a morning person is that once it hits a certain part at night, if I am tired, I'll be out like a light. Right. I won't stay asleep long. Mm-hmm. Um, and certain combinations of drugs are really fun. Like not drug drugs, but right. like, you know, I take a, what was it? I had a cider and then I think immediately took my CBD. I fell asleep for 20 minutes and woke up and literally could not tell you what century it was. <laughs> I heard Dan upstairs and I went, who's upstairs? And it took me a while to be like, oh, Dan, I'm dating him. What? That's oh cool. God. I super forgot everything. That's like, amazing. It, right? Isn't that cool? Oh, <laughs> not, God. not actually drunk or high, but literally yeah. like, <laughs> what, what is happening right now? <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, so I will drug myself before a plane ride yeah. and then uh, sleep for about one-tenth of it. And right. then my brain wakes up and is like, we're here. <laughs> and I'm like, no, <laughs> definitely no. <laughs> and it's awful. And I really right. wish it worked. Mm. It does not work for me. Um, so do you want to talk about the movie? <laughs> yes. So I think we should other, go back. What else do you have in your notes? <laughs> in my notebook, um, Domino Effect of Failure. Have you ever been on a road trip with your family? I then re- released in 2006 the names of all of the main characters who are in the van. Like you do. Like you do. Um, I also wrote that it won for Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. Dig it. And Best Supporting Actor for Alan Arkin, who played the grandfather, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. Uh, also, I mean, that's pretty legit. He yeah. Was good. He was really good. And, and I've seen him at. The thing that blows my mind about this film is it's literally every single person that's in it are actors that I absolutely love. Yeah. And yeah. see, and I love all the projects that they're attached with. It's, and so like seeing them all together, I was like, oh my God, this so, is so great. It's so funny that I do recognize Greg Kinnear when I see him, mm-hmm. but it isn't until I hear his name that I recognize that he was on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt the final season where they they literally caught and he plays himself. Right. And I I don't remember much of it, but I do remember it being so funny that they were like, you know, trying to get him attached to different different projects and stuff. And he's like, sure. Yeah, I'll just do it. Why? I also feel like I get him confused with who was the guy that died and and who was in Twister? Who's the main guy in Twister? Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm not going to remember his name. Yeah. Yes. He was also in Titanic, I believe. 
right? Sure. Well, I don't know. If, <laughs> I might be thinking of another person. No, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not the cinemaphile. <laughs> I like. I almost told you we should talk about Madagascar. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Great movie. You know, I was just gonna say if you want to have me back and talk about Madagascar, <laughs> yes. I well, that's what I said when you asked me if I had a favorite movie. I said I could talk about Disney movies. Like I'm like I I watch. I definitely watch a lot of kids' movies. My my brain mm-hmm. likes bright colors. It just does. Fair. So animated things appeal to me more on a subconscious level, and so that's what, you know, right. that's what I decide to watch. Um, so, I I mean, as I'm more drawn to, like, mm-hmm. to those, or sing, I could talk about <laughs> sing. Yes. That's all I want to talk about. Actually, all I'm going to do is sit here and play, uh, what's it called? Um Oh my goodness, the, the Elton John song that he does. Oh. Yeah. Um, What's the song? Oh my God. Hmm. I'm still standing. Yes. Yes. I'm just going to, I literally am just going to hold my phone up to the I'm mic and play standing. that for an hour straight. And that's going to be my oh, review of no. <laughs> Oh no. I think you mean, oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Anyway. Yes. Just some thoughts for the next time I'm back. Thank um, you. In the in between our campaigning. Yes. Obviously. In between. Vote Renata Leo, <laughs> Becky Teller for 2020. <laughs> Get your Heath bars out of Get here. <laughs> I was like, I knew it had Heath bars in it. <laughs> and I knew it was disparaging. Yes. That's what I got. I want my presidency to be <laughs> a never-ending uh, fireside chat like like President Roosevelt or something. <laughs> President Roosevelt without the polio. Yes. Our other slogan. Yes. <laughs> so Renata, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, dude, always to Scopophilia. Yes. We are honored to have you. Um as an honorary scopophiliac, because you watch a lot of TV. So. I feel like I sunk into the couch. <laughs> as you should. I, I, your, your face is more and more obscured by my <laughs> mic thingy that you have here. <laughs> I don't also do a podcast, and I know what equipment is. <laughs> this thing that I'm not going to poke, even though I want to. I like feel like before I could see you clearly over it. And I now know. I'm now like we're reaching. We're getting real comfortable here. <laughs> I'm sorry that I interrupted your closing. No, that no. Started with hey. I mean, hey, thanks for coming on. <laughs> hey, thanks for checking in. Um, so thank you so much for being on and for suggesting such a wonderful movie that yeah. I hadn't seen before. Oh, which but is- you had bought. Only a but week I before. Had that, was, that was crazy. It really Dude. was. I um for those of you who don't know, um, I was in a thrift store literally a couple days before I text Renata. And um my local thrift store has the bomb ass selection around. Um and they're like fifty cents per DVD. And it just so happened that Little Miss Sunshine was there. And I was like, oh, people say this is a great movie. It has a good, like, really good writing. I'm going to buy it for 50 cents. I also found, like, Eternal Sunshine is a Spotless Mind, which is a great movie. Um, a sealed director's cut version of Donnie Darko. So, like, it was a good haul. <laughs> and then literally a couple days later, I was like, Renata, what's your favorite movie? And you were like, Little Miss Sunshine. I went, no! <laughs> I know that it is super crazy. Literally, the universe was like, you need to buy this now. <laughs> You're going to need it. Spectacular. Yes. 
So thank you for coming on. Mm-hmm. Thank you for picking a wonderful movie. Yeah, I got you. To kind of launch this whole thing. Yeah. And uh, and I hope to have you back in the future. Again, please subscribe <laughs> and yeah. like us on all the appropriate media channels. And also check out Renata's podcast, Overrated Underrated, um, mm-hmm. with her co-host Josh, as well as her blog, Buffalo Sauce Everywhere, which if you're looking for some pure human content go read it i actually really like that i don't really have a slogan i like pure human content man there you go i dig it thank you 2020 get these heath bars out of here (laughs) (laughs) you should end every podcast that way (laughs) get those heath bars out of here so this is becky get those heath bars (laughs) out of here i couldn't do it with a straight face i wanted to do with the npr voice in a straight face but i couldn't i i will not be able to we'll be sitting here for hours just having me try to do that yeah (laughs) all right well thank you but wait there's more for our last interview of this premiere debut amazing first episode here on Scopophilia. We have Nick Urata of the band Devachka, one of the many people involved in creating the very distinct sound found in Little Miss Sunshine. Not quite comedy, not quite drama, somewhere beautifully blended in the middle. And in doing a little research about Nick Urata and his career, I discovered that he's been involved with the music for a lot of films that I really enjoy, including Crazy Stupid Love, I Love You Philip Morris, Ruby Sparks, which is a personal favorite of mine, and also collaborating with Neil Patrick Harris on Netflix's Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events for the theme song. And so it was a complete honor and such a fun experience to be able to ask him about this first film that he did, which was Little Miss Sunshine. And so the first question that I asked Nick was, you know, the band Devashka has a very distinct sound. If you haven't heard them, it's been described as cinematic. And so when writing for Little Miss Sunshine, did you find the process more or less challenging because of your initial sound? So at the time that Little Miss Sunshine came into our lives, we had recorded three albums and we had really started to hone in on this sound that we had been dreaming of for years which was basically a mixture of all the styles and instruments that we were passionate about. And I think it was the sound that got us the gig as um, the directors heard us on KCRW, which is a much beloved indie station here in LA. And unbeknownst to us, had come to see us when we were in town a few times. Um, Looking back with the benefit of hindsight, of course, We were the perfect match for this film. I think a traditional comedy score would have really killed the vibe. In the end, our off-kilter arsenal of instruments and personalities and most importantly, our complete lack of experience allowed us to match the tone of what was happening on the screen and help tell the story. Um, And in the end, I think we were able to, to pull some heartstrings without taking ourselves too seriously. The next question I asked him was, since the film was your first experience writing for film, what did you learn about the writing process that has helped you with your work today? Um, Of course, yes, I did learn a lot from working with such an amazing team on my very first film. 
I think the most important lesson, which is carried over into any other artistic or life endeavor, is you have to check your ego at the door and realize that you're working towards something much bigger than yourself or your artistic needs. Um, this can be quite liberating, and I've found that it's allowed me to tap into musical ideas and genres that I never thought I would dwell in. I think the hardest lesson for, for a musician to learn is that when you start working in film, the music has to take a back seat to the story, to the performances on screen, and ultimately to the director's vision, because those are the things that will make a film a success. The best scores fly under the radar and pull at the strings of the subconscious, making the audience feel something that they didn't know they were going to feel. And lastly, my favorite question that I asked him was, do you have a favorite moment, scene, or song from the film that resonates with you, and why? My favorite scene in the movie is right after they rescue Olive from the gas station. The dialogue fades away, and we see the family slowly enveloped into the freedom of the open road. Um, for that scene, we used an instrumental of a song I wrote called You Love Me, and I found out later it happens to be the song that John and Val, the directors, heard on the radio, which led to us scoring the film and uh, the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you about it today. The song has always kind of held a special place in my heart. I, it's one of the few ones I'm proud of, and, and it means so much to be uh, immortalized in such a classic scene like that. Thank you so much to Nick Urata of Devochka for answering these questions from a girl who is obsessed with film and for giving us a really great insight into the making of the music of this film. And on that note, episode one of Scopophilia comes to a close. I hope I was able to satisfy that movie itch that you've had for a while. I know we've all been there. But don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you liked the show. It'll help us out a lot. And if you just can't wait to get more, you can subscribe to our Instagram, which is scopophilia underscore podcast, and also to our TikTok, which is scopophilia the podcast. Again, I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I can't wait to see you all next week. Until then, I'm, of course, your host, Becky Teller, and I'll see you next time. Bye.